Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? Night one of the draft is in the books. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on tonight's show, we're going to talk about those two draft picks, Jalen Waddle, the wide receiver out of Alabama at pick number six, and defensive end Jalen Phillips out of the University of Miami, your two Dolphins first round draft picks. We're going to talk about those players in depth. We're going to hear from Tyler Martin from Bama Central. We're going to hear from Brett Coleman talking about Jalen Phillips and his game. We're going to break down these players, the stats, the data, the film, all that fun stuff. We're going to talk about the draft party at Hard Rock Stadium, preview day two and all of that and a whole lot more on this night one recap edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins And so we kick things off with the first pick of the Dolphins in this first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. And the draft goes kind of chalky to start things off with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Bit of a curveball there with Trey Lance at number three. We'll cover that here in just a moment. And then Kyle Pitts goes number four and Jamar Chase goes number five. And that gives you the option of the top of the offensive line class with Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater. Sewell would go one pick after Miami. So I think it's safe to assume that he was the number one tackle in this class. I thought he was as well. Jamar Chase came off the board at number five. There was some groaning when Kyle Pitts came off the board at number four, but I can finally say on the podcast now that I just didn't see the fit for Jamar Chase in Miami as far as what they have on the roster currently and what they need to infuse into the offense and with what fits with quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. So the smile on my face on the, up on that stage and as the entire 6,000 people at Hard Rock Stadium or whatever it was, was looking on, the smile on my face as I got to break down that pick of Jalen Waddle. and you guys heard this on the preview podcast with Kyle Krabs and how he can impact this offense. It was such a fun Fun night, a fun thing to be a part of. Jeff Darlington tweeted out after the fact that the Dolphins had Jalen Waddell as their top receiver all along, and that kind of makes some more sense into the trade process for going from 3 to 12 and then back up to 6. I told you guys this. I think I mentioned it on Zaslow on the radio on Thursday afternoon. The Dolphins would not put themselves in a position where they're going to have a potential doomsday scenario. So getting from 12 to 6, you identify Jalen Waddell. You identify that he fits with your quarterback and fits the competitive toughness this team wants to play around and, and build their team around. He checks all those boxes. Let's go ahead and jump right now into my break down of Jalen Waddle, the player and the prospect. And so as far as the player and the prospect goes, Jalen Waddle, we talk about electricity being added to this offense. This guy's start-stop acceleration ability, whether it's vertical, whether it's horizontal, whether it's with the ball in his hands as a punt returner or in the open field off screens or on deep passes he catches, or if it's coming off a line of scrimmage without the football, working in motion, his ability to make things happen in a hurry creates instant conflict and creates decision time for defensive backs. We talked about the yak ability, open field, very Tyreek Hill-esque in the way he creates forced missed tackles and just turns 
12-yard gains into 80-yard touchdowns on the regular. His deep ball tracking, the way he kind of has a center field over-the-shoulder look for the football and his ability to both go up and get the football and come down and control it and hang on to the ball and survive contact of the ground or a defensive back raking the football. He is just an alpha when it comes to, that's my ball, I'm going to go get it, I'm going to go make a play. 21 of 26 passes to this guy of 20 or more yards in the air, he caught. That's like a screen percentage there. 21 of 26, unreal production on deep throws to Jalen Waddle his entire career. The way he pairs up with Will Fuller, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but the vertical and horizontal theme of stretching the defense and creating space in this kind of ideally what does Tua do best? He works in space, makes quick decisions, takes advantages of matchups. Jalen Waddle creates so much conflict for the matchup aspect, but it also helps keep two safeties away from the box to help kind of jive with the RPO games. Now you have to defend vertically, you have to defend horizontally, and now you have a big heavy offensive lineman coming downhill on RPO as well. The spacing that he creates in the offense again because of pre-snap motion can help you identify pre-snap the way Tua can decipher what the defense is doing from a coverage standpoint as well. We have to find out you know, we have to respect Jalen Waddle's speed from the slot, Will Fuller's speed outsider in the slot. You're going to find out so much more information because of the playmakers that have to be accounted for on the offense with this new addition in Jalen Waddle. The competitiveness of this kid is unmatched. We'll talk about some of that here more in just a second. And the teammate that he is, again, just Nick Saban said that the last two years, this team has lost their top locker room guy in Tua Tungavailoa in 2019, and then Jalen Waddell in 2020. He said that those are the two most important guys as far as their locker room and teammates go. They lost both those guys in back-to-back years, so very high praise there from Nick Saban. And we heard this from the Around the NFL podcast and Chase Goodbread, who said that as far as return men go, the minute Jalen Waddell suits up, he is Dante Hall level, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the greatest return men in the history of of the National Football League. So that's the skinny on what Jalen Waddle does best as a player, his fit in this offense. And Kyle Crabb mentions this on the preview podcast, the strides that Jalen Waddle was supposed to take or was taking this year before the injury as this guy that was kind of buried on the depth chart there in Alabama under Judy and Ruggs and Smith for a few years. And he played that satellite slash slot role slash guy that moved around on RPOs and, and spacing on screens and jet sweeps and the influence of the eye candy. He began to really increase that role as a full-time move-around-the-formation type of player, and he was doing it to the tune of like 24 yards per catch, 500-and-something yards on like 40 targets, so just completely, completely destroying the competition the year the opportunity he had to truly break out. Big play after big play, that 90-yard touchdown catch where he throws a little subtle double move in the middle of the field and just blows by the defensive back. Then the ball's underthrown by Mac Jones a little bit. He comes back, slows down, catches it. The DB catches up. And then Jalen Walla with 40 more yards of field to work with takes off and creates another five yards of separation with the ball in his hands because he is so damn fast. You just, speed doesn't slump. And we saw that all year, or at least for four games for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Not to mention how valuable that skill set for being that satellite guy is in this offense inside as a slot receiver. We think that's probably the position right now with Devontae Parker and Will Fuller on the outside. 
Preston Williams plays outside as well. You've got some chances with Albert Wilson coming back after the opt-out. Jakeem Grant may be inside on the slot, but Jalen Wallow comes in right away and to me gives you so much life and juice and an upgrade on that inside position. But also you can pitch him the ball in the backfield. You can flex him out wide. You can do so many things. Here is what Daniel Jeremiah had to say about Jalen Waddle and his top 50 big board. Extraordinary speed and playmaking ability. He has the ability to line up inside or outside. His acceleration in his release is elite. He destroys the cushions he receives from defenders in a hiccup and can find a second and third gear once the ball is in the air. He's at his best on runaway routes, but he flashes the ability to efficiently gear down and work back downhill. I thought his hands were improved this fall. He's one of the most talented kickoff and punt returners to enter the NFL in the last decade. He references a return he had against Auburn in 2019. But you heard him talk there about the acceleration once the ball's in the air. It's that alpha mentality that I'm going to go get the football and I have the physical skill sets to make it happen. It is a true, truly unique and, and scary and dangerous proposition, a great pairing for this Dolphins team, but a scary proposition for defenses to have to compete against a guy who has that competitiveness, who has that speed, who has the production, who has the relationship with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And that's going to pay off right away because you go back to the 2018 Tennessee game. I, I believe I clipped this off on Twitter a couple of months ago. Tua throwing a perfectly placed ball on an over route where Jalen Waddle catches it and takes off and leaves the defense in his wake. It was all about timing, precision, landmarks. Jalen knows where Tua likes to put the football. Tua knows where Jalen likes to run his routes and where he's going to wind up on those deep post routes. You know, this hash mark, that hash mark, the numbers, wherever the football has to be, I'm going to put it in that spot. That comes inherently as does their timing. So like a speed out. Tua has seen Jalen run a speed out a thousand times in his life. He's seen him run those slant routes. He knows where his feet wind up. He knows where the target winds up. He knows how he stacks defensive backs. It comes in inherently ingrained with these two guys and the anticipation that Tua truly thrives on. And that's part of why they were so dangerous there at Alabama. Tua's anticipatory throwing is so elite at finding out, okay, this cornerback is putting his weight on that left leg so he can't quite drive in that direction right now. Jalen's got him set up perfectly to kind of snap this route off in his face and get to that spot before he even has a chance to. So I'm going to throw the ball in that spot and trust that Jalen's going to be there. And you see that weekly on the Alabama tape. It was a, a good part of Tua's rookie season here in Miami with the receivers he had. But I think a guy like Jalen Waddle takes it to another level. Here's some intel from Bruce Feldman pre-draft of The Athletic. He said, or this is from coaches and scouts around the league, Quote, I thought he was the most dangerous of those four receivers they had in 2019. You just can't tackle him. His ability to separate from guys is just different. His change of direction is ridiculous. He's not quite as fast as Henry Ruggs, but he's quicker. He's lethal in the return game, and you like how he responds in tough games. He ate up Georgia and Texas A&M before getting hurt and made a bunch of big plays at Auburn last year and made a great punt return against LSU. Another coach or scout here. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy who gets open so much like he does. Separation, the name of the game, right? In their Missouri game, they could have thrown it to him every single play. Like they threw it on some plays to other open guys, but then you look at him and he was open too. That was like every play. He never got covered or stayed covered. Even when they didn't throw it to him, he's so elusive, so sudden, so quick, and is able to shift his weight so he doesn't tip his hand on a lot of things. He's a very natural route runner, end quote. And that goes back to the anticipation throws from Tua that I talked about before that. 
The fact that you can trust that he's going to get to a spot, but not just get to a spot because of his deep speed. The defensive back's not going to be able to squat and drive. So you open up that that half of a second, two-tenths of a second, whatever it is, that creates space for this precision-type quarterback in Tua Tungavailoa to match up. I think these guys jive together so very well. Now, Jalen did not run or test at any pro days, or of course there was no combine this year, but Daniel Jeremiah had this to say, quote, in talking to some teams around the league, Waddle had the fastest GPS of any receiver in the country. Your eyes are not deceiving you when you watch him. He's freaky fast, end quote. As far as the pro football focus data, prior to the ankle injury that cost Waddle eight games this year and all but the opening kickoff of a ninth game against the Tennessee Volunteers, he was matching teammate and eventual Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith in the ridiculous statistics category. Waddle's 557 receiving yards were 74 yards more than Smith's four-game total through the first quarter of the Crimson Tide schedule, and he did it with 18 fewer targets. Waddle was averaging 22.3 yards per reception compared to Smith's 12.7 and a ludicrous 19.2 yards per target. Will Fuller led the NFL last year at 10.7 yards per target. He had 19.2 yards per target. Smith was at 10.8 in college football. A true four-down player, his dynamic threat extends to special teams, averaged 19.3 yards per punt return with two career touchdowns on 38 opportunities. He also scored a kickoff return touchdown and averaged 23.8 yards on nine kick returns. So he averaged almost 20 yards per punt return. Waddle split his time between wide splits and inside the slot. He played 242 snaps in 2020 with 147 of those snaps coming from inside alignment and that jives with Waddle's skill set. He scored a 62.5% success rate versus press coverage. That mark per Harmon falls in the 33rd percentile among all prospects in the reception perception history, but pressing receivers in the slot, especially receivers who timed a sub 4-4-40 and perhaps even quicker game speed, is kind of an enter-at-your-own-risk proposition for opposing cornerbacks. You can create ways to get him releases in the slot, on motion, return motion, whatever it might be. You can find creative ways. He gained 495 yards from the slot, which ranked 24th in college football, despite playing just four games, mind you, and his slot yards per game, 123.8, was far and away the top in the NCAA, I should say. Matt Harmon, again, reception perception, he scored Waddle with an 80% success rate on post routes, 73.7% on takeoff routes, and 87.5% on digs. He feasted on in-breaking routes, including an 80% success rate on slants. That's where Tua really shines in the middle of the field. So again, the matchup, the pairing there is perfect. His 80.3% success rate against man coverage ranked in the 98th percentile in all of college football. So if you want to play man coverage, he can beat you vertically. He can beat you horizontally. Think about drag routes and over routes and and putting defense in conflict. Like if you want to play man coverage against a team that has Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller, that's a tall order for those cornerbacks to turn and run with those guys on every single play. How about some more quotes here from Matt Harmon? It's difficult to remember a recent prospect who is so who can so easily flip the field, control their speed, and devastate with a stop-start move, all while doing the little things that Waddle does so effortlessly. Overall, Waddle is an excellent separator. His 80.3% success rate versus man coverage is not just the best in the 2021 class. It's one of the top scores among all prospects charted in reception perception history. 
and this is end quote here, Waddle finished tied for six in the country with an average of 10.1 yards after the catch. He also generated the 26th most deep yards, passes thrown 20 or more yards with 329 yards on just seven passes in that criteria. Most guys are getting 35 passes in that criteria. He also turned seven catches on screen passes into 65 yards. That's 9.29 yards per screen reception. Just throw it to him. He'll get you a first down. And the conflict waddles and infusion into the offense places on opposing defense is enough to make opposing defensive coordinators sweat, especially paired with Will Fuller. You just cannot keep... You can't play single high defense against this offense anymore. You have to have two guys up top because, again, his 20.93 yards per route run on balls thrown 20-plus yards or more downfield was second among all qualifying receivers with at least one target per game this year. So both these guys have unreal take-the-top-off-the-defense type of speed and the competitiveness and the ball tracking and the hands to make the play so it's a legitimate threat. As far as the Dolphins receiving depth chart now, there are 13 receivers on the roster. So you'll have some chiseling away at the group to do between now and opening day. But there is really competition at every spot. Nobody on the roster is really like Jalen, but he does figure into the competition for full-time inside guy from the jump with the likes of Albert Wilson, Lynn Bowden Jr., Alan Hearns, and to a lesser extent, Jakeem Grant, who I think plays better on the outside. But with Waddle, though, at the very least, he's a special package guy and return man from day one, but I think he comes in and earns significant work right away in your base primary offense. The conflict he creates with the speed inside can just open up single opportunities on the perimeter for Parker and Williams and Gesicki. Do you really want to bracket the slot receiver and bring a tight end or a safety down on top of him to cap him? Because that gives you one-on-one matchups on the outside if you do that. I think you look at the lineup of Fuller, Parker, and Waddle in 11 personnel. You've got a little bit of everything. All three guys can play all three positions, and I'll be damned if it's not suddenly one of the most dangerous arsenals of weapons in the entire National Football League. The competition in the receiver room this summer is going to be a ton of fun. Let's go ahead and finish up here with some quotes from some scouts and experts and coaches. He's one of the most talented kickoff and punt returners to enter the NFL over the last decade. That's Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network. Nick Saban had this to say, this is two years in a row we lost a player who was probably the most popular player on the team in terms of being a good teammate and being liked by his teammates. Tua Tungavailoa was last year and Jalen's that way this year. And you just hate it for him because they're such great competitors and they mean so much to their team and their teammates. And he also finished up by saying that as far as competitors go, he compared Jalen Waddle's competitiveness to that of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. So, I mean, we'll be talking about here. This guy is ultra competitive. And let's go ahead and finish up here with Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at Missouri. Heading into that game, Drinkwitz thought their plan was to slow down Jalen Waddle. That plan centered around keeping the ball out of the hands of Jalen Waddle, who was coming off a 2019 season where he averaged 17 yards per catch and totaled six touchdowns while the focal point of opposing defenses, he said this, I was like, hey guys, look, Jalen Waddle is what makes them go, all right? So we got to double Jalen and make Devontae Smith beat us, okay? He's kind of a nice piece out there, but man, we got to take Jalen Waddle away, end quote. And that, to me, speaks volumes. He is the primary focus of the defense. It changes the way defense plays you both pre-snap and post-snap. It creates spacing. It creates a vertical element. It allows you to possibly get away from the 10, 12-play drives. allows you to score on possible five, six-play drives and be explosive and pick up chunk gains. Jalen Waddle, your newest Miami Dolphin, and you can find a write-up story, a profile on Waddle in the coming days on MiamiDolphins.com. 
So that's my report. And before the draft occurred, I had some interviews with some beat writers uh, at some of the most prominent SEC schools that covered the top skill players in this draft and Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith because I had a feeling we'd be using one of those sound bites on this podcast. And sure enough, we are. Let's go ahead and welcome in Tyler Martin from Bama Central to talk about Jalen Waddell. And joining us now is Tyler Martin. He covers the Crimson Tide beat on BamaCentral.com. Tyler, welcome in and thanks for joining us, man. What's up, Travis? Uh, I'm glad to be on here. Love this time of year, man. NFL draft. It, it, you know, it, it's, it really doesn't get much better than this right here, man. It doesn't. The, the intersection of pro and college football for a big football fan, just you can't top that. I think no other sport replicates it the way football does. And we got to see that beautiful intersection between players graduating from college and going on to the next step in the National Football League with a player from the school you cover there at Alabama and Jalen Waddell, who now reunites with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And let's go ahead and start there. What's the relationship like between these two guys? Are they pretty tight? Are they brothers off the field? Like, tell us about Tua and Jalen together. Yeah, they, they're super tight, man. Um, and I think, too, what you really saw in in really just Jalen Waddle's freshman season, I'll start with him. Um, that was the year Tua became the full-time starter was Waddle's freshman year. Um, and, and they just kind of blossomed, right? Even in that first game together, they blossomed together. And and that's just that, that helps the quarterback's confidence. And it allows the play calling to get better, too, right? I mean, they know when they're breaking out of their routes. They know when they're doing certain things on the football field because they played three, four years together. Um, so I, I think that's, that's unquestionable how important that is. I, I tend to agree. I think it's very important. We came into the offseason with really a couple of really focused points that you really want to attack, and that was getting two of the weapons and making him comfortable, making the job as easy on him as you possibly can, but also adding electricity to the offense, explosive plays, the opportunity to score from anywhere on the field, to sh- cut those drives from 10 to 12 plays down to five or six plays. And we talk about Jalen Waddle's speed. We know that's that's his game. First of all, he caught 21 out of 26 passes in his career over 20 yards of air of air yards. Like what? That is so crazy. But I'm curious, what would he run in a 40 yard dash? Do you think he would crack four, three? I think maybe close to that Henry Ruggs limit. So it's funny. So two seasons ago, so going into 2019, um, Alabama normally has like, this is before COVID, obviously. They normally have like a fan day and a media day where you can go on the field, you can talk to the players, you can interview them, and then you go watch the practice and all the fans run on the field. So beforehand, um, I was actually talking to, to Henry. Uh, this was his final season. And you're just talking about, you know, who would win in a foot race? You or, or Jalen Waddle. And, uh, and, you know, they, I mean, he was very complimentary of his speed. He, t- he, said, he said it could be, end up being a tie. You know, he didn't really want to say who was faster or not, and, and Waddle is the same way. I mean, they're they're both you know very humble guys, but but I looking at it, and you look at the, the straight line speed. I think I think Waddle is as close to four two nine as it gets. I think he's a guy who who would definitely be anywhere from four two eight four two nine to about four three three. That's where I kind of put him at because I think him and Henry Ruggs' speed are very very comparable, very comparable, and I just think you know. With with Waddle, I mean, he was averaging the four games he before he got hurt in the open kickoff against Tennessee. He was averaging 130 yards a game. Now, there's a lot of questions of would Devontae still won the Heisman? We don't know this, right? But there, it is it is what it is, and it happened. The, the ankle injury happened. But when he was in there, man, I mean, 
and, and and it also helps when you have a deep ball thrower of Matt Jones and how precise and how accurate he is. Um, but even when Tua was there, right? I mean, you go look at what, what Tua did with him um, in 2018 and tw- beginning of 2019. It's it was phenomenal. Um, but I think in terms of the straight line speed, I, I'm I'm saying there's no way he's less than a four three three for Jalen Waddle. Oh, that's beautiful. That's that's what we want to hear. Speed kills, man. I, I've been harping the speed train all off season longs. Tyler Martin, BamaCentral.com. Can you tell us anywhere else we can find your work, what you're working on, any other podcast or radio? Like, where can we find your work, Tyler? Yeah, so um, at Bama Central on Twitter, at Steven Tyler, S-T-E-V-E-N, Tyler underscore 15 on Twitter is my personal account. Um, we have a podcast, All Things Bama, where we have former coaches, former players come on there. We, we chat with them just about their time in Alabama. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but Bama Central on Twitter and then at Steven Tyler underscore 15 on there as well. Tyler Martin, appreciate your time today, man. Uh, thanks a lot and, and be safe out there, man. Yeah, thank you so much, Travis. I appreciate it. A big thank you to Tyler Martin for coming on the podcast and talking about Jalen Waddle. Let's go ahead and flip this thing over here and get to the Dolphins pick in the middle of the first round, number 18 overall, Jalen Phillips. And let's go ahead and start with a video from Brett Coleman of the Bootleg Football Podcast and the NFL Film Rouge channel on YouTube. He does great work. He's been on the podcast multiple times before, does great video breakdowns and knows a ton about the game. Let's go ahead and hear from his video he titled this offseason, this draft run-up, Jalen Phillips is a terrifying hybrid of the Watt brothers. Here's Brett Coleman. Because the more I watch Jalen Phillips from Miami, the more I think he's not just the best pass rusher in this class, I think he stacks up well against all of the other alpha pass rushers that have come out in the last six or seven years. In fact, I would go so far as to say that my closest comparison to Jalen Phillips on tape are two of the best pass rushers in the entire league right now that both happen to be all pros and they both happen to be in the same family, J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt. Now, those comps can be a little bit tricky for some people because Jalen is obviously not as big as J.J. He's about 20 pounds shy of that, and he's significantly bigger than T.J., so he's somewhere in between both of them. But stylistically speaking, in terms of how he uses all of his incredible physical gifts like burst, bend, length, and strength, the way he uses those tools is very similar to both of the Watts. In particular, there are three things that I really noticed when watching him that just scream, I am a Watt brother. Number one, his aggressive, penetrating style of playing against the run. Number two, his versatility as a pass rusher and how he sets up tackles with certain moves that then open up opportunities to counter off of those moves later in the game. And number three, how he adapts his technique against tackles that kind of have his number so that he can have more and more success against them as the game goes on. And so you heard Brett talk about it there. Six foot five, 260 pounds, heavy hands. And you go back to the clips I would talk about all summer with Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba working on their one-on-one technique and one-on-one drills where he would say, Shaq would say to Emmanuel, you got some heavy effing hands, bro. And we heard Coach Marion Hobby, the former defensive line coach, talk about that plenty in this defense and how important that is in this defense. This dude has heavy hands and he can play the run on the way to the pass. And you'll, you can see more of that in Brett's breakdown. He does a great job showing both his pass rush and run defense ability. But this guy will anticipate blocking schemes and shoot gaps. But he has the size, the heavy hands, and the athletic profile to correct when maybe he guesses wrong. Maybe he winds up in the wrong position. He is one of the best at working back to get his way back into his gap 
and disrupt the play as he was supposed to. It just, it leads to some monster, monster splash plays, tackles for losses, and sacks in the backfield. I love his arsenal of pass rush moves. He has a devastating cross-chop move and an inside counter move. This guy can do multiple things off that outside edge. You go back to the Emmanuel Ogba podcast I did a couple months back, and he talked about how important it was to be able to use that the cross-chop and use those hands and to be able to rush and dip that corner. We'll touch more on that here in just a second, but I also love the fact that he's very multiple. He can stand up in a two-point stance and play off that kind of outside linebacker edge in a, a wide nine type of alignment. He can squeeze down to a tight five. He can even kick inside as a three technique at time. He plays all over, really, really bookends Emmanuel Ogba well, in my opinion. His ability to turn the corner, this is what Cam Wake was elite at. And I think it was Channing Crowder that made the comparison at the draft party. More on that in just a moment. But Jalen cannot just get under your pads and completely shock the opposing right tackle or left tackle with the initial pop, which is staggering most of the time, but he can really corner around that outside edge where he uses the lean and the weight of the opposing offensive lineman against him. And he's got the grip strength as well to use that player's momentum and the leverage against them to slingshot himself around the quarterback. And again, the Manuel Ogba podcast talks a lot about that. That's where I think you see a lot of Jalen Phillips' game in the pass rush the crafty arsenal and the polish he has at that position. And he also sets an extremely hard edge off the outside. Again, 260 pounds, long arms, heavy handed. It helps him stay in position to play the run on the way to the quarterback. The way he fits in this defense, we know about this by now, multiple fronts, whether you're in an even front, an odd front, three down, four down, whatever it might be. We talked about this in the top, his versatility, and this team needed a replacement for Shaq Lawson, and you got it in a big way right here. Some folks say, and I agree with this, that Phillips had the best tape of any defensive player in college football in 2020, and that's saying a lot at pick number 18. He's a guy that has immediate polish and fits a need on this roster. I think he can give you a bunch of snaps early on, but also his long-term profile, his projection, his upside is also there. So you get the high floor and the high ceiling. Also, the amoeba package this defense runs with, and we talk about the versatility of the different positions that he plays. It's really incredible what it can do to the defense. You can line guys up in those A-gaps, mug up your linebackers. You can condense Ogba and Phillips inside, or you can kick them outside. It helps create that amoeba package, the confusion for the opposing quarterback. Who's coming? Which guy's going to come on this blitz and try to get pressure in my face? The Dolphins can now expand that package even further with Jalen Phillips. Now, I love covering these players' stories and their their backgrounds and their paths here to the National Football League. And this is a great little blurb I learned about from Pro Football Focus. His path to a monster 2020 season, they write, is straight out of Hollywood. He was hit by a car while riding a scooter at UCLA in 2018 and suffered wrist and head injuries. Phillips then retired later that year after suffering another concussion. He returned to the game, though, this time at Miami, where he was arguably the best defensive end in the entire country over the second half of the season, racked up nine sacks and 36 total pressures in his final seven games. So 542 snaps last year. 286 of those as a pass rusher. He gave them the eight sacks, the four hits, the 29 hurries. Check that five hits. That's 42 pressures on those 286 pass rush snaps. That's a pressure every 6.8 pass rush snaps. So 
give or take, you know, 25 a game, four or five pressures a game. That puts you out there in the Emmanuel Ogba territory. He was doing that last year in college. He also had 18 run stops on the 241 run defense downs. That's one every 13.4 snaps. So four or five pressures a game, two or three run stops a game. That's some great production there out of the defensive end. He measured at the 75th percentile or better in every metric PFF does. Pass rush grade, run stop grade, true pass rush grade, which is evaluating how many sacks the player actually earned compared to cleanup sacks and that type of thing. Pass rush win rate and and run stop win rate. Those are hard to say. His pass rush win rate of 20.3% is in the 90th percentile in college football. So there's the pass rush void you've been thinking about all offseason. Jalen Phillips comes in in a big way. Eight sacks last year, six passes defensed, 45 tackles, and 15 and a half of those were for a loss. We talked about the versatility. He had eight career snaps as an off-ball player and four total snaps as a one technique, three snaps in the B gap as a three and two tech, and one snap head over the tackle as a four technique, but the rest of them came, all 658 of his snaps in the career came as an outside true defensive end. So I think this ju- this guy joins the defensive line room with a real shot to be the second highest snap taker in the group. I mentioned how pro ready his game is, his ability to play both the run and the pass and not run by the quarterback or get himself into a dangerous position where he can become a liability against the run. He just doesn't do that. He's in the right position most of the time. And how about his workout metrics? 90th percentile or better in his 40-yard dash, his shuttle run, and his broad jump. 125 inches on the broad jump, 4.13 shuttle, and a 4.56 40-yard dash. Again, six foot five, 260 pounds. 4.56 40-yard dash. He is explosive as hell. He also checked in with a 36-inch vert that was 81st percentile and in the 80th percentile with a 7.013 cone time. So the lateral agility, the loose hips to pair with that heavy power and bend, man, this guy can do it all. Six foot five, 260 pounds, 33 and a quarter inch arms with 9.75 inch hands. He's body beautiful, he's twitchy, and he's athletic. Now, I've been talking about this Bruce Feldman mock draft a lot lately, where he got intel from scouts and coaches around the league about a month ago before the draft actually occurred. And he had these two quotes from anonymous coaches and scouts in the National Football League about Phillips. Phillips has a chance to be really special. He's explosive and really smooth. He's athletic enough to be a 3-4 outside linebacker. He can bend. He's versatile. He's strong. I think he should run in the 4-6s or maybe the 4-5s. And of course, he did check in with that 4-5-6. The second anonymous quote here, as big a year as Miami's Greg Rousseau had in 2019, Phillips' 2020 performance was even more impressive. He's more stout than Rousseau at the point, and the level of tenacity he plays with is ridiculous. His motor never stopped. He's such a freak athlete in the way he can move and how explosive he is, but he's really completely reworked his body. He's extremely powerful, end quote. And from Dane Brugler's The Beast on The Athletic, check out that draft guide if you have not done so yet. He was a former tight end in high school who flipped to defense as a sophomore. He won a state championship in football. He won California Defensive Player of the Year in 2015 and also had a 22.9 200-meter time and a 51-foot shot put. So he ran track, super athlete, number one ranked defensive end prospect out of high school and ranked narrowly ahead of both Najee Harris and Cam Akers as the number one overall player coming out of high school. This kid really looks like the part at the defensive end position in this defense. The motor, the physicality, the tenacity, the motions he plays with, he fits right into the culture here, both from his play style and the front seven, and also with his temperament and his mentality. I want to go ahead and close up with this on Jalen Phillips as our player breakdowns kind of conclude here. 
at his post-draft uh, presser, he had made a great comment talking about how South- Southern California made him, but Miami saved him. Again, going back to that story about transferring from UCLA out to Miami after being a, col- or a, a California kid his whole life, comes out to Miami, re- kind of revitalizes his football career, and now he's thrilled to be in the 305. I was thinking about pulling some audio from the Flores and Greer press conference on late Friday night, but we're already recording this podcast in the early morning hours of Friday morning. So I'm going to go ahead and save that for the day three recap podcast. So we kind of take a look at the draft holistically. We'll go ahead and hear from Coach and Chris on that press conference. I want to finish out the podcast with a couple of things here because we have some more to get to. First off, the draft storylines. How about San Francisco going with Trey Lance at pick number three? I was convinced all along that they're misdirected or that their comments about it's either Mac Jones or Trey Lance. I thought it was misdirection, but it wasn't Trey Lance and good for them. I was really, really not buying the idea that it was Mac Jones. The Falcons take uh, Kyle Pitts. I think that was a little bit of a surprise just based upon things that have occurred over the last couple of months, but Pitts obviously got more runway heading up into the draft and more hype heading into the draft. So I think that that's a great fit for them with Arthur Smith and Matt Ryan in that offense. But you know, we were maybe hoping he might fall to number six, but he didn't. We wind up with Jalen Waddle, and that's a great, great prize at that spot as well. I thought it was interesting that all three Dolphins, Chargers, and Bengals, teams that drafted quarterbacks in the first round last year, got tools to help their rookie quarterback. Justin Herbert gets Rashawn Slater. Joe Burrow gets Jamar Chase. Tua Tungavailoa gets Jalen Waddle. So some help there for those young quarterbacks. Justin Fields to the Bears. I was fist pumping at that one because I don't really get invested in other teams like this, but if the Bears are going to be shoved down my throat in primetime five times, at least give me a quarterback I love. And I love Justin Fields. I love that fit there. Happy for Bears fans. They are one of the blue bloods of this league, and they deserve to have a good quarterback for the first time, really, since Jim McMahon, I guess. It's been a long time. Jets going up for an offensive lineman. I thought that was strange because it's a very deep offensive line class. You could have stayed put and got Tevin Jenkins or maybe Christian Derrissaw in that spot. So they trade up for an offensive lineman. Thought that was strange. Mac Jones of the Patriots. I'll just go ahead and say this. We saw what happened to Jimmy Garoppolo or Jared Goff or any of the other stationary quarterbacks, Joe Flacco, Sam, I guess Sam Darnold's not stationary, but you get the idea. These quarterbacks that don't move as plus athletes, they didn't fare well against this Dolphins team. So let's go bring it on Patriots. I like that a lot. Alex Leatherwood was the Draft Network's number 72 overall player. Raiders take him in the first round. Thought that was certainly interesting. Caleb Farley in the first round after the injury is very happy for him. He deserves it because he's a great kid. He's a great talent. Just sucks to have a guy with back injuries going into the draft. But he got saved off the board in the first round. Jaguars get ETN to go with James Robinson and Trevor Lawrence. Wow, what a backfield that is. And Najee Harris goes off the board to the Steelers. Dolphins fans were pumped about Kim Bocamper hyping up the crowd for taking Najee Harris number 18. So I know Dolphins fans are going to be bummed there, but we're going to get to the draft preview here or the day two preview here in just one second. And there's still a player on the board. That's my RB1. We'll talk about that. I want to cover the live show hosting it at Hard Rock Stadium. Most fun I've had in a long time. Probably a top five night for fun for me of all time. I absolutely loved it. Being on the stage, being in that atmosphere, perfect night, perfect weather, little breeze, no rain, fans were there. It was great to see life getting back to normal and being up on stage, being on television. It felt natural for me. You guys can grade my performance if you saw it and and think I didn't do great, but 
I thought I did great. I thought we all did great as a team. There was never any awkward silences. We got all these Dolphins legends that I was getting to yuck it up with. Dwight Stevenson, Kimbo Camper, obviously. Channing Crowder there on set with me. Uh, Terry Kirby and Lorenzo Hampton. So plenty of great stuff. It was great to see OJ McDuffie there who did the pre-show show. show. Uh, Ruthie Polinski from NBC. She was there as well. Great to see her. And always great to see John Kinjemi. He was a phenomenal host at the uh, the draft party on Thursday night. I love sitting with John talking ball. He's the best. Great to see him. And just, just a dream come true, man. Unreal. The sights, the fans, back to normal. I talked about that, but... There have been some tentpole moments for me in this journey personally, and this was totally the biggest tentpole moment. Being there at Hard Rock Stadium, watching the draft with crazy Dolphins fans and breaking things down, I just, it's kind of a lot to take in right now. Like, I'm pretty beside myself. I'm pretty euphoric because I talk to you guys at one o'clock in the morning here on Friday morning. Other topics in this part or uh, in this draft, divisional foes. We talked about Mac Jones there going to the Patriots. The Buffalo Bills wind up getting Greg Rousseau, the defensive end out of Miami there. He is a big, long, strong, physical defensive end prospect that we're going to have to get blocked up in those AFC East games. And the Jets with Zach Wilson. You know, I didn't talk much about quarterbacks, but I always thought Justin Fields and Trey Lance were were superior prospects as far as I considered it. I think Zach Wilson makes a lot of those fun throws and can throw the ball over the yard, but I, I really question a lot of the parts of his game as far as you know one-hit wonder, his processing speed, and, and trying to stay on schedule and, and make plays on script opposed to being that off-script quarterback. We'll see him twice a year now going forward. Let's go ahead and close up this podcast with a day-two preview. I wrote down some names here that I think are really in play for the Dolphins and really some really talented players available. There are two players on the board right now that I would go up to 33 and get if if I could. They are Tevin Jenkins and Javante Williams. Tevin Jenkins would really round out that right side of the offensive line. If you want to kick Robert Hunt inside, you can do that. If you don't, you don't have to do it either. But Tevin Jenkins has a physical temperament, an absolute mauler tenacity he plays with. I thought he was a top 15 pick. The fact that he's still there to me, I would I would make a move for him if I could. Javante Williams is the other guy. I think he's running back one as well. So OT2 and running back one on the board for me personally right here. Three down player, former linebacker that can pass protect like an absolute maven. Gotta catch the football and not to mention his running ability. 4.59 yards per carry after initial contact. Like I'm not talking average carry. After someone hits him, he still averaged four and a half yards per carry after initial contact. Those two guys are the biggest ones that stick out to me on this board. Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, the linebacker out of uh, Notre Dame, he's more of a safety linebacker hybrid prospect in this defense, but the fact that he's still there, I thought he'd be a first rounder. Baron Browning, the outside linebacker at Ohio State, he can really play. Kyle Krabs talked him up big time as well, so he's an option there at 36, I think. Back to the offensive line, Dylan Radens out of North Dakota State. Love his game. He can play multiple positions, I think, along the offensive line. Would like to get a crack at him. I like Jackson Carmen out of Clemson, but he might be more of a Saturday pick. Back to the running back position, if it's not Javante Williams, I like Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis. There's a lot of variety to his game as far as a pass catcher and pass protector and also carrying the football, explosive player. I also like Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State. He could be a possible option at pick number 81 in that third round, maybe in the fourth round if you trade back a little bit. Uh, Trayvon Morick, the top safety on the board. He and Javon Holland are still there. And, you know, I actually have Tyree Gillespie ahead of both of them. But So really three good safety prospects there. Maybe you wait around a little bit on Tyree Gillespie. Along the offensive line, Landon Dickerson, Creed Humphrey, and Quinn Minerts are all still there. Love all three of these players. I think Minerts fits the profile really 
perfectly as far as his explosiveness, his size on the interior, and the way he works. He's a really bright kid, a hardworking kid. At safety again, defensive back, kind of round this thing out. Love Jamar Johnson out of Indiana and Asante Samuel out of Florida State. This guy can really play. He's a ball hawk. Of course, son of former Patriots corner Asante Samuel Sr. So he and Jamar Johnson round out my my list of players I'm keeping an eye on on day number two. We're going to do it all over again tomorrow night. Recap day two, get you some press conference audio, break down some stuff as far as the players fit and their their film and the scheme and all that fun stuff. We're also going to have a deep dive on Saturday after the draft concludes, taking a look at the entire roster, reset that thing. We'll get the press conferences for Coach and Chris on there as well and the players. We're going to cover this thing for you guys comprehensively. I don't want to jam it all into one episode. I think we gave you plenty here on this Friday morning edition of the Drive Time Podcast. But as for my time, that's going to be my time. Dolphins get Jalen Waddle number six, Jalen Phillips number 18. Big boon to the receiving room and a big boon to the pass rush there. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.